Morning, church family. Welcome to Desert Hills Baptist Church today. We are excited about this Sunday morning as we wrap up our series called Reconstructing, Helping People When They Have Doubts Concerning Their Faith. And today is uh, uh, going to be a, a wrap-up in the sense that we're going to overview or kind of reflect back on the messages that have already been given. And then we're going to kind of share some things that we can uh, do together as we answer some questions to help those that are in that process or still having in the process of doubts or in the process of deconstructing. And a couple of things I want to remind you about. This morning, everyone received some of these invitations. And this is for what we used to call our friend day, plus one Sunday. And every one of us have at least one friend, right? Every one of us have at least one friend. We have somebody that we associate with on a regular basis, uh, whether it's our postman, whether it's somebody we buy goods from, uh, whether it's uh, our dentist or our, our dental hygienist or whatever the situation is, we all know people. And so here's the goal on March the 26th, I believe that's the date, two weeks before Easter, we are having our plus one Sunday, and our whole goal is to get people here uh, that day as we're in a uh, series on evangelism. In fact, we begin that series next week called Impact Evangelism. Really excited about that. And so what our goal is to get people here so they can hear the gospel and they can have an opportunity to be saved, and then hopefully we can get them back two weeks later for Easter. And this is a wonderful opportunity for you just to buttonhole a friend and say, hey, listen, I would like to take you to lunch uh, after you visit our church on Sunday, and we're going to go somewhere really special, really fancy, really exceptional, Cracker Barrel. <laughs> whatever, McDonald's, whatever. Uh, uh, what's the, the cheese place over here by uh, Harkins? Uh, Cheddars, Cheddars. Well, I'm going to take you to Cheddars. Uh, uh, so whatever, you know, invite them somewhere and try to get them to hear uh, on that day. And then also we have sign-ups today for uh, the evangelism at the park this coming Saturday. You don't want to miss that. We also have sign-ups for the ladies' event, spring event. My wife is out there signing people up for that event, and you won't want to miss any of those things. We're going to look at a scripture, and we're going to bounce around in a bunch of scriptures today as we kind of set the table for our discussion and wrap up uh, here today this series. So the message is entitled, Living Wisely and Effectively in Our Culture. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. Now, we've been speaking about the subject of reconstructing our faith uh, when we or others have doubts, and we need to remember that the tenets of Christianity will always go against the grain of the culture. In fact, they were contrary during the time of Jesus, and they're contrary now. In fact, 20 years ago, we would say that we live in a postmodern world. In fact, that was the theme that you would hear of the day, uh, postmodernism. We live in a postmodern world. Uh, and what does that mean? We, we live in a world where you cannot determine absolute truth, and everybody has their own truth. That's what people said we were 20 years ago. But today, it's beyond that. We live in a post-Christian world, a culture that doesn't only want to diminish our voice, but they want to stamp it out altogether. They want us no longer to have a voice. They want to take away 501c3 uh, exempt statuses for churches. They want to take away churches' First Amendment rights. They want us no longer to have no say or salt or savor in society. That's the culture in which we live. 
Now, our natural tendency as human beings is to want to fight that, to fight it tooth and nail, and, and look at the culture as bad culture, good church. But our goal isn't to be culture warriors, going to battle into, with those that would differ from us, those that would disagree with us. Because one of the primary tenets we need to understand is the natural man isn't going to understand spiritual truth. The unsaved man isn't going to get it. In fact, the Bible says in Corinthians, the natural man is spiritually discerned. He is incapable of understanding biblical truth. Our goal is to be lights in a world full of darkness and to follow Jesus' advice here in Matthew 10. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now, deconstructing would seem like the normal way of things when we understand that our culture is becoming increasingly secular. It's not getting any better. It's becoming more and more secular, more and more godless, more and more void of morals and truth. Now, Christian truth isn't going to be purported in our modern culture. In fact, there's a big division between Christianity and modern beliefs. In fact, I'm going to give you a couple. Now, in a believe-yourself world, that's the type of world we live in, Christianity calls us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. In fact, here are the words of Jesus. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In one of the parallel passages, it says that we're to take up our cross daily and follow him. Now, in a world that is offended by everything and absolutely ashamed of nothing, we as believers need to take heed unto ourselves to align with God's truth. Instead of pointing fingers at the culture, instead of saying bad, bad, bad culture. Now, we need to understand that our children need to understand what's wrong with culture. We need to tell them why things are wrong, not just what is wrong. But we understand that as Christians, the Bible says, take heed unto thyself and unto doctrine and, and be ashamed of, of, of not, we need to not be ashamed of understanding the truth. Now, in a world that associates all pain and suffering with a cruel and unloving God, Christianity understands that the whole creation groans and is in pain together until now, and that God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. God isn't the causation of our problems. Man brought sin into the world, and as a result of that, we have sickness, and we have pain, and we have tsunamis, and we have earthquakes, and we have, yes, even cancer. As a result of sin being brought into this world, we live in a groaning planet that travails and pains together, the Bible tells us, until now. In a world that, that is a you-do-you world that emphasizes individuality, authenticity, and nonconformity, Christianity challenges us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. In fact, the Bible says, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of of his son, and that we're to be imitators of God, as Ephesians says, as dear children. You see, these are the things that are diametrically opposed to our culture. Now, in a world where everyone is a victim, we need to remember to take personal responsibility for ourselves and our own actions 
and understand that even when things happen to us, bad things happen to us, we are ultimately victors through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we can give thanks unto God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In a consumerist and greedy culture, Christianity calls us to be generous. It says, give and it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And not to be mastered by money, but to allow it to uh, be a part of our lives and we master our possessions. The Bible says, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us all things richly to enjoy. In a narcissistic world of self-promotion, self-help, and selfies, Christianity calls us not to be focused on ourselves, but to be focused on others. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In a world that says we're free to do whatever we want with our bodies, Christianity says that we're to glorify God in our body and our spirit, which are God's. In fact, it says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. In our sexually progressive culture that endorses pretty much anything in the bedroom, as long as there's mutual consent, Christianity says that sex is intended for marriage between a man that was born a man and a woman that was born a woman. In fact, it says, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, a touch that kindles a fire. Everybody in here knows exactly what I'm talking about. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, sexual sin, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Hebrews says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. In a world that promotes success and winning and your best life, Christianity calls us to value strength in weakness. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, When I am weak, then am I strong. In a hate-filled world where we're told to crush our enemies and make them feel our pain, Christianity calls us to the radical challenge of loving them and showing kindness towards them even when it's not reciprocated. In fact, Jesus said, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. In a world that has normalized the discarding of unborn lives and the dehumanizing of others through racism and sexism and pedophilia and human trafficking, Christianity insists that all humans are important and created in the image of God and are worthy of dignity and protection. In fact, the Bible says, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. In fact, Jeremiah said, before I formed thee in the belly, God said to Jeremiah, before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet of nations. 
in a pluralistic world with a diversity of religious beliefs in which all roads will take you to heaven. Christianity calls you to believe that there's only one road that will take you to heaven, and that road is Jesus Christ. For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. In a world where science is king and almost infallible, even though it can't explain a whole host of things, Christianity says that God is the creator of all things and is still at work in our world and will redeem this corrupt and tainted creation someday. Now, none of these things is easy to practice or believe for some. In fact, there's nothing comfortable about truly following Jesus. Jesus brought a revolutionary, countercultural message. And anyone who would say otherwise or whose version of Christianity is conveniently custom-fit to their personal comfort are deceiving themselves and probably causing the cause more harm than good. Now, one of the greatest problems in Christianity today is us as Christians. We live inconsistent lives. We live contrary to the truth of Jesus. And we demagogue people that are not like us. And we don't understand that our job isn't to Christianize society, but to evangelize society. You see, as I purport Christianity versus our current culture, again, I'm not promoting us being culture warriors. I'm promoting us being gospel warriors. I'm promoting us being gospel evangelists who will take the message to the ends of the earth and understanding this, that anyone who's in Christ is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The gospel changes things. Now, Dale Bruner put it this way, Jesus' enemies are not his only problem. Jesus' overzealous followers have historically been as painful to him. Now, we don't want people to be driven away unnecessarily by our Christianity, but we want to have a Christianity so authentic that no one could ever doubt it. People are generally okay with others having differences and beliefs if they can sense genuine love and kindness towards them. Now, over the last few weeks, we have given you several reasons why people have deconstructed. The first one we talked about was the inability to reconcile the goodness of God with pain and suffering and loss. Now, we brought out several principles to give us perspective. First of all, we often blame God for things that are not his fault. Secondly, we have pain and suffering and loss as, as a result of sin entering into this world. And then thirdly, becoming a Christian doesn't mean that we'll suffer necessarily any less. And then we talked about God's ministry to us uh, through his spirit and his word as we face pain and loss and suffering. We talked about how the Spirit testifies to us about our identity. We're uh, His children. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. And the Spirit testifies of our hope that this world is in our home, uh, Romans 8, 17. Uh, we have a home and eternity future because of salvation. And then the Spirit consoles and guides us and directs us in our difficulties, even when we don't know what we should pray for, as Romans 8.26 says. 
word testifies that everything that we encounter works together for our good and ultimately for our glorification. The Bible says we know all things work together for good to them, are, to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And then further on in that text, it talks about how every believer is going to get a glorified body someday that will no longer encounter sickness, pain, and agony, but will be perfected. And then we gave several reminders that give us perspective as we reconcile the goodness of God with pain and suffering and loss. Now, one of those was we will not always have the answers on this side of glory. People in pain, people in suffering, people in loss have asked me over the years, why is this happening to me? Now, I can give some answers of perspective that I've already spoken of, but why is it happening to them specifically? I don't know. And sometimes I wish I had some answer. But I do know what we have as we go through problems, and I do know who we have as believers as we go through problems. Sometimes we need to understand the pain may continue to endure. You know, we want to comfort people. We want to help them. We want to say, this isn't going to last forever Sometimes it does. Sometimes it lasts until those people are taken from this world. We have to acknowledge the pain. We have to let people feel their emotions. Don't try to not get people to feel what they're feeling. Let people feel their emotions. And then we talked about how that everyone... that There's always things going on inside of people's minds and their hearts that some of us will never even think to know or discover and then we talked about how the presence of others is a gift we don't always have to have the right words sometimes our presence our being there is exactly the ticket and then next we talked about how people deconstruct because they have ethereal faith versus experiential faith they have a faith that knows things versus a faith that has experienced God at salvation and they've experienced God continue to work out through their lives as they've been a Christian now, we examined John chapter 15 and talked about the fact that some have never experienced uh, God because they've never been saved. They've never truly been born again. We talked about the fact that those who are saved always produce fruit. They have an empowered prayer life. They reproduce other Christians, as John 15 talks about. They will have the fruit of love, and they will have joy to the fullness. Now, their joy won't always be there, but they'll have experienced fullness of joy. And last week, we talked about how some deconstruct because they see the inconsistencies in the lives of other Christians, Christian leaders, and the truth in which they speak. We examined the book of Galatians and talked about how the Galatians were easily moved away from the truth of the gospel by focusing more on man and traditions rather than Jesus. We looked at the fact that even good men like Peter and Barnabas could be caught up on focusing on preferences and traditions and personal convictions rather than the gospel. And then we see that Paul withstood Peter to the face and corrected that situation. In fact, later on, most people believe Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council, where they gave an edict that we're not going to put the traditions of Judaism on the Gentiles. We only ask that they uh, not eat things that uh, are full of blood. They don't commit fornication and, and uh, one other thing. But that was it. They were no longer going to hang the law over anybody. Uh, and that was settled in Acts chapter 15. 
And then we gave some personal encouragement as we think about those that have been inconsistent. I gave some encouragement not to explain away the inconsistencies of others, but to help us have perspective. And one of those things was we need to remember our own inconsistencies. Now, last time I checked, none of us sitting in this room are perfect. And as a result of that, we're going to be inconsistent. And that's not to justify any bad behavior. That's not to say, okay, I'm inconsistent, so I'll just continue to be inconsistent. <laughs> I'll go contrary to the will of God. No. But we got to remember our own consistencies. And then we need to remember that the Bible is our authority, not man, not traditions, not a denomination, but the Bible. And then we talked about how we need to separate essential doctrine from traditions and preferences and personal conviction. And we went into detail about that. And then we talked about how we need to separate the faults of Christians and their message with the message of the gospel. Sometimes people see inconsistencies in the man and the message, and they want to throw away the message because of the man. And the man has nothing to do with the message. I mean, he does because he's purporting it, but the message is something separate. The message has been around uh, a couple thousand years before the man. And so we need to remember that. Now, we want to help people on their journey. And remember, uh, when the scriptures speak of hope, we want to give answers of that hope uh, that is in every believer. In fact, the Bible says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, this pastor or any other pastor cannot answer all the questions that people have about God because God is infinite and we are all finite. I cannot answer everybody's question about faith because faith is something that has to be experienced. We never realize it or understand it until we step out into it, if you will. And then I can't answer all the questions about life. In fact, Corinthians says it this way, now we see through a glass darkly. We can't see everything this side of glory. But then, when we get to meet Jesus, we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, but then I shall know even as I am known. Again, we cannot answer every question with empirical proof, but true faith is content to not have all the answers for every question. In fact, J.I. Packer once expressed it this way, it's not for us to stop believing because we lack understanding or to postpone believing until we get understanding, but to believe in order that we may understand. Augustine said, unless you believe, you will not understand. Faith first, sight afterwards is God's order, not vice versa, and the proof of the sincerity of our faith is the willingness to have it so. Oswald Chambers uh, said it this way, doubt is not always a sign that man is wrong. It may be a sign that he's thinking. And hopefully in this series, I've got some of you to think. Uh, guys, would you come? The guys are going to join me this morning. And we have a few questions that the congregation has submitted. And we'll attempt to answer them in this roundtable format as we did in the first sermon in our series. David's going to MC this morning. So the first question that we received says this. It says, why does it seem like so many young people are deconstructing today? So I'll say it is true that 66% of young people between the ages of 18 to 24 leave the church for at least a year, some to never return. Uh, for many, the three reasons uh, that we spoke about are the cause. 
For others, it's because biblical Christianity doesn't align with their current culture, and they choose culture instead of biblical truth. And for others, they just simply have never been grounded. They'd never learned what they needed to know, and that's why the reason they leave. Now, Barna, George Barna does uh, surveys for churches and Christians and non-Christians, and he did a survey that came out this week, and he expressed exactly half of those who are Christian or have been a Christian background or experience, 50% say they have gone through prolonged periods of doubt at some point in their life. I found that shocking. Many do not know what they need to know, and we understand that faith comes by hearing and by hearing the Word of God. And if we never avail ourselves to hear the Word of God by reading it or studying it or being under the teaching of someone, then how much faith are we going to have? How much understanding are we going to have? Yeah, I think sometimes that it's become more visible as well. Uh, we've got a society, a, a normal thing where our lives are displayed online, especially for younger people, it seems. And, and oftentimes as pastors, even worship leaders become more famous, there's more exposure. They've got followers. They've got uh, people that really come along with every single thing they say. And so when sometimes they come out and struggle with their faith or so or bring questions out there that don't come from a good foundation those young people that are following them it's not a whole lot different than, than celebrity worship and they start to question the same types of things and it stumbles their faith as well and and so it gets i think the the visibility that's out there the exposure contributes a lot to to that deconstruction as well I agree. I think piggybacking on exactly what you were just saying, I, I have written down here in my notes, we live in a social media and a 24-hour news cycle type society where uh, there's no doubt that deconstruction, maybe that's the, the popular word for it right now, but people have always questioned their faith. People have always walked away from the faith because maybe they didn't ever truly believe, but now we see it. We see, we see everything that somebody does. You, they go to a restaurant, they take a picture of their food and stick it on social media. Yeah, I do it too. Um, but what that means is we also see their struggles. We see when somebody's questioning their faith and all of a sudden, especially when it's something so near and dear to them and they go, man, I, I don't think I believe the thing that I believed before, they publicize it. And so it, I think it's not a new thing uh, scripture says that it's not, but we see it in a way that maybe we never have before. So the next question we have says this. It says, does the speak your truth way of thinking contribute to deconstruction? If, if you're not sure what I mean when I say that, it's the idea that there is no absolute truth. You can, you, you do you. Uh, and if you're still thinking, I, I'm not sure if I've experienced that, I ran across a documentary, and I, I pulled a, a few seconds from that that I'd like to show you to give you an idea of how some people process things today. If I say that I, I feel a certain way, then obviously you can't tell me I don't feel that way. Yeah. But just because I feel that way, does that mean it, that it's true? I mean, if it's your reality. Okay. I, yeah, if it's your it's reality. It's truly like none of my business. Who so we all have our own. Identity. Realities. What's true to you can be can be false to me. So like, it, it's not, it's. Like what if I said that it's true? My truth is that you don't exist. Does that mean you you no longer exist? I mean, if that's your truth, sure. I don't. Because but, it's. But like, you do. 
sitting here saying that I do that I do. Well, but even if I said that you don't, you still do, because we're, we're having this conversation. I mean, are we? I think so. I mean, I thought... That's what we... you think. So clearly, there is some, some strange logic out there. So does that speak your truth way of thinking play into deconstruction? Let me just say this. I just wish there was that type of thinking when I took calculus. <laughs> I could have said to my teacher, hey, listen, it's my truth. It's got to be your truth now as well. If this is what my answer is, it ought to be the right answer. And so, yeah, I mean, hey, that would have been so much easier. <laughs> so what was the question again? <laughs> so how does that play into the factor of deconstruction? What do you guys think? I think it makes it very comfortable when you have your own truth. Absolute truth can get uncomfortable. The Bible can get uncomfortable and and when again kind of going off that same answer to the previous question if there's not a strong foundation if there's not an understanding of full context a full understanding of what god has said we can pull a scripture out here a scripture out there and it seems very offensive very very wrong but the truth altogether is the gospel the truth is is beautiful um but if you don't have all of it if your foundation is weak i think that that it invites in that relative truth, my own truth, a whole lot easier. Yeah, the gospel has an offense to it. Uh, the Bible's very clear about that. There's no question that when I tell someone, you are a sinner, and without Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity in hell, separated from God, that's offensive in and of itself. It can be. Now, there's good news of what Christ has done for us, but when we don't want to hear that offensive truth, now, we as believers should not add to that offense. We shouldn't be jerks about it or anything like that. But when we have the truth, and it is absolute truth, and it is a little bit tough to hear sometimes, man, it's a lot easier to just say, you know what, That's, that can be your truth, Matt. That's not going to be my truth. This is going to be my truth. So I, I think that's a great question. How do you help someone who has been hurt by people in the church? Pastor. You know, I think uh, I mentioned George Barner here just recently in this uh, discussion, and he cites that past religious experiences and hypocrisy are the two leading causes that people leave Christianity. And I'm not invalidating anyone's hurt or pain, but we understand that human beings have the capacity to hurt and to cause pain. The fact is religious people hurt Jesus. They hung him on a cross. They hurt the apostles. They went after him. In fact, Paul, before he became a Christian, caused a world of hurt. And I believe it, it grieved him. He understood he was a, a saint. He understood he was forgiven of his sins. But I think uh, he, he uh, thought back at times, probably had nightmares of what he did, imprisoning people and jailing people and causing harm to people. And, and the fact is, I have been hurt. My family's been hurt by people in the church. And all churches, as long as they're filled with people, will have people that hurt others. It said, hurting people hurt people. And it's not the church's fault necessarily. It's because somebody has an issue going on in their heart and their life, and as a result of their hurt, they hurt others. Now, we don't want to remain in a place where pain is continually doled out, but the fact of the matter is no church is perfect, and I think we need to be a thermostat instead of a thermometer. We need to set the tone. If we're in a church where 
uh, people are unscriptural and, and, and not behaving uh, according to the word of God and, and causing hurt and pain and running people off, we need to uh, stand up and say, wait a minute, is this biblical? Is this right? Are you trying to be right or are you trying to be righteous? There's a difference. And we need to understand that. Matt, you got anything to add to that? Really just echoing off what, what Pastor said, but I think also when you're talking to somebody who has been hurt, listen to them. Allow the conversation to happen. Uh, don't be so quick to defend, uh, fully in agreement still with what Pastor said, but don't be so quick to defend everything when you don't know the ins and outs of the situation. Listen, you've got a, an opportunity there to represent the church. You've got a chance to, to show them how it's supposed to be, not coming from a place where you're going to hurt them and the church is going to hurt them. So it's a take advantage of that opportunity, I guess is the only thing I would add. Let me say this as well. Um, you have to ask yourself, is what I am upset about here? Is it here? If it's not, then why are you upset about it? I don't know how many times I've sat in a meeting with people and I've said, show me. Show me. And I've had people say, you know I can't. Then I'll say, why are you so upset about it? Now, I'm not saying that people don't get hurt or that I'm incapable of hurting somebody, but most of the things people are hurt about, they're just fleshly. And, and not all of them, because I know people have been really hurt in, in ministries. You know, I could tell you about the guys that I serve with on staff that have been hurt by different things in ministries. And it's real. And it's, and it's obviously not good. It's not godly. But how are we going to deal with that? Again, we got to separate the message from um, the messenger. Yeah, I think the, the only thing I want to add to that is... I do think it's important to look at those two different pieces. If, if it's a preference that we have, if, if I walk in and James is sitting in my seat and I'm like, I can't believe James sat in my seat today. I, I'm, I'm mad. I can't believe this guy comes in and he, he sits down. I've sat in that seat every week for 72 years. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we laugh at it. We chuckle at it. But there's things like that that happen. I, I can't believe that's the color of carpet that they put in the church. These people are so dumb. They have no taste. Well, we might not, but we do our best. Let's not be hurt by those things. But there is real hurt that happens. There's, I, I, we could all give you examples. And when those things happen, I think it's important to remember exactly what Pastor started with. People are imperfect. They, they may be wrong. They may be sinful in their actions towards you. And that may be what hurts you. That's not a reflection of Christ. We've got to always remember to look back to Christ in those moments and go, man, I'm sure, I mean, I will raise both hands. I got a microphone in one, so I can only do this, but I know I've hurt people. Hopefully unintentionally most of the time, but I know that I have. So I hope that in those spaces that I could go back and ask for forgiveness, but I, I hope that those people are mature enough to realize that I'm imperfect and that Christ will always be faithful to them even when I can't be. So, what are some things that we can do to create a safe place for dialogue with people who disagree with us? Pastor. I think it's possible to disagree without being disagreeable. Good. I think we need to find common ground and ask questions 
I think we need to seek to listen instead of to be listened to. I think sometimes we're more willing to share what we know than what somebody's experienced and where they're questioning and, and how they're trying to frame their questions. So I, I don't argue generally with people. If somebody wants to argue with me, I'm like, hey, you know what? I mean, I've had, had people want me to debate. Like, I'm not called to be a biblical debater. Uh, I'm called to be an evangelist and a witness, you know what I mean? And, and so um, just remember that you're salt and light. I would add to that too, love them. Love them exactly where they're at. And Jesus said, love your enemy. These aren't your enemies, so even more reason to love them. They just disagree with you. Um, you may be that person, again, going back to a couple answers ago, you may be that, that representation of that love of Christ that they haven't seen or maybe are, are caught up in the times that they, they saw the opposite more than they saw that love. And you have an opportunity, again, to, to take advantage if you get caught up in the argument, get caught up in the debate, all of that goes out the window. If you come at it from a place of love, you have an opportunity. So our next question is this, is deconstructing always bad? I, I, I'll get us rolling on this one. I, I like the way there's a, there used to be, maybe if you guys remember this, for those of us that are a little bit older, there was a reality TV show called 19 and Counting uh, about a family that had 19 kids. Uh, kind of explored their life. They were Christians. One of the daughters recently came out, wrote a book. She said, I, I had to uh, rethink some things that I was taught. Um, she said, I never stepped away from the faith. She said, here's how I like to say it. She's like, I know the word deconstruction is really popular right now. She said, I don't think I deconstructed my faith. She said, I disentangled my faith. I found the things that weren't rooted in scripture and I pulled those apart and I found the gospel and I found Jesus and I clung to those things so I just disentangled it I didn't really deconstruct it I think m much of what people view as Christianity isn't biblical Christianity it's cultural Christianity and so the things that we normalize in in our culture whether it's American Christian culture or Central American Christian culture or wherever we have all these things that are associated with the church. This is how we dress, and this is our music, and this is what the service is like, and this is how the pastor preaches, and this is what the pastor wears, and does he have cool shoes on today or not? And, and all these things that are associated with our, our culture in, in the American church and, and the church around the world, and I think we associate that with being Christianity when those are all surface things. And, and I think sometimes that becomes a focus, the focus in a church. You know, I, as I said uh, last week or the week before, I don't, I don't uh, uh, cusseth, I don't cheweth, I don't drinketh, and I, I don't smoketh, and I don't run with those that doeth. And, and, you know, I think I'm spiritual because I don't do certain things. And I think that's where a lot of people are. You know, I'm, they're moral people, and they promote their morality but they don't necessarily promote biblical Christianity. And I think if we're deconstructing from, I don't think we need to deconstruct from morality, but I think we need to deconstruct not making some things as prominent as what's found in here. You have anything you want to add to that, Matt? Okay. So the last question says this. It says, how can we help those that are deconstructing or questioning their faith? 
Spend time here. Spend time prepared to go into conversations of disagreement, go into conversations of relative truth, go into conversations that are uh, bound to come at you. The more equipped you are, the more knowledge you have coming from God's word and time with him, the better prepared you will be. I, I would say uh, try to differentiate you know, cultural Christianity and what the Bible says. And, and I would echo a reading the Bible yourself. Because when I started reading the Bible myself, and then I started hearing what was going through a pulpit, I realized they didn't always, they were not always congruent. And so I had questions. And what that ultimately did is it made me deconstruct from a culture in a church. And then over the years, it made me deconstruct away from more culture in churches that I found myself. And so, you know, if you get to know the Bible and you get to know biblical truth, then your life is gonna change. I mean, it, this has been like a lifeline for me so many times uh, in my Christian life. And then I would say read. I, I, I read all the time. I read uh, Christian, I don't read a lot of Christian fiction because I feel like I have enough fiction in my life that I, I, I don't need any more fiction. Uh, so I don't read a lot of Christian fiction, but I read, I read like I read the biography of David Livingston. And, and when I, I read that they literally had to tie him to a tree so he could preach in an African village because he was so in such poor health. I thought to myself, you know what? I don't have it bad. I read about a guy by the name of John Patton, and he went to the islands of the New Hebrides. And before him was a guy by the name of John Williams went there, and when he went there to give the gospel to the people in New, the New Hebrides, he was eaten. But John Patton went to those islands anyways. And he couldn't get a breakthrough of getting these people to understand the gospel because they couldn't understand things they couldn't see. They, they worshiped the God of the river. They worshiped the God of the trees. They worshiped the God of the, the harvest. They worshiped the God of the sun because they could see those things. And he told them that he was going to dig a well. And he dug a well, and, and they were laughing at him. They were gathered around all day to see what this missionary was talking about. You're going to get water from the ground that we can't see? And they were mocking him day after day, and finally he struck water. And they believe that there are things, there must be things that they can't see. And they ended up believing in God and his son, Jesus Christ. At the end of his life, in his pulpit there in Antietam, they put a pulpit that said, when he came, there were no Christians. When he left, there were no heathen. I read stuff like that, and I'm like, whoo! God's still at work. He's still on the throne. He still wants us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and the gospel changes people. So read. I think that wraps us up for today. We are so thankful for the opportunity that we've had to walk through this series, uh, to answer some of your questions, and as you continue working those questions, talk to us. Talk to somebody who can help you with those things, and I'll give Pastor the final word as we, as we close up today. I would just say, Christians, remember you're not culture warriors because when we're, we feel like and we know that we're opposed to the, the culture, 
the natural inclination is to want to fight culture. And that's my inclination. I, I am a fighter. <laughs> and I want to fight. Any given chance, inside of me, everything in me wants to fight. But you know what? I understand it's not my job. My job is to present the gospel to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove.